Welcome to the NFL Talking Heads Fantasy Football Podcast Show. Here are your hosts, Jeff Carrier and Seth Lowell. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the NFL Talking Heads Fantasy Football Podcast Show. Back for another great episode. I am your host, Jeff Carrier, and by my side is Seth Lull. Back for another weekly episode as we head into week 12 of the NFL season in the second to last weekend in the regular season for Fantasy Seth. Um, we're not getting any closer. Probably most people at this point uh, already know where they stand in terms of their fantasy season. And in this episode, we're going to talk um, a lot of some of the, the key matchups or players that you like, Seth. But there's a lot of notes I took over this past weekend. Um, obviously, we're seeing a, some additional coaching changes now, including the Oakland defensive coordinator getting fired, Denver offensive coordinator getting fired. So I want to like just discuss a little bit about the NFL and the season that we're seeing here. So I've, I, I got some some narratives that I kind of wrote down. And one of the big ones that I kind of realized, because I just, we talk about this more than once, but I just, it, it seems to be kind of a weekly topic that we can kind of keep going back to because each week I am just always surprised at these head coaches. I think these head coaches has got to be one of the biggest storylines in the NFL for the 2017 season. We, t- we we anticipated Kareem Hunt getting the ball a lot more. Did it happen? No. I see Charkandrick West all over the place. Um, another example of just these head coaches, and, I, and I'll get your feedback on what you saw with them and maybe these specific examples as well, but Oakland is on fourth and one up against New England, um, going for it on fourth and one, and they have obviously Marshawn Lynch. And you can make the argument they've got two other decent running backs in Jalen Richard and DeAndre Washington. And on fourth and one, they decide to run the ball, and who do they give it to? Olawali. And just it, it, stuff like that was happening all weekend, Seth. Uh, Cincinnati was on third and seven with over two minutes left in the game, up by three. One first down, secures the win, secures the win for them. They just got to pass it for seven yards. What do they do? They run it, get stuffed, and they have to punt. Their defense bills them out, but a very John Fox-esque type of move there. Um, I don't know. It, it, these head coaches are have been very frustrating this year, to say the least. Yep. A lot of these coaches are just are just fantasy killers. You can go right down the line. There's outside of Bill Belichick. If you, if I was to ask you who's the, who, we talk about this all the time. So this is nothing new. But if I was to ask you who's the second best coach in the NFL, I mean, there isn't a clear cut second best coach or third best coach. It is just a complete. It's complete garbage. There's a bunch of average at best coaches in the NFL, and you know several situations come to mind. You know Tennessee. Coming into this year, at the very least, we thought Tennessee was going to be able to run the football. That's what they're built for, and just absolutely nothing. DeMarco Murray has been an absolute bust, and it has nothing to do with with Derrick Henry. He's not getting carries. He's not. He's just having a very ineffective season. So Mike Malarkey is killing everybody on Tennessee. Even Mar- Marcus Mariota is having somewhat of a down year as well. And then you know, look at look at Andy Reid, what he's doing to Kareem Hunt. You look at the situation in Tampa with all the talent they have. Mike Evans is probably having one of the more, I don't know, underrated, disappointing seasons that not many people are talking about. So and you can go through every single team. John Fox in Chicago, Jordan Howard, zero catches um, on Sunday. They're not using Tariq Cohen after kind of the spark that he was giving them over the first three weeks of the season. Um, Mike McCarthy loses Aaron Rodgers, and now Green Bay is is just anemic. They're so dependent on Aaron Rodgers, it's not even funny. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's just – and Hugh Jackson, obviously, in Cleveland. I think if they had a, a somewhat competent head coach, there's at least two or three games that Cleveland could have won this season, but awful play calling. They've used, what, three or four different quarterbacks this season. Um, very, very bad. Yeah, and so a note that I took away is is obviously this play calling, and, and me and you have been big advocates for if you're the head coach, 
you have to be able to be overseeing everything that is happening on the field. You have to have a pulse on your team and what the game situation is happening in front of you and be able to make uh, quick assessments and adjustments on the fly, offense, defense, maybe even, you know, obviously special teams. And when you have to be play calling and so focused on one side of the ball the entire time, I feel like this is a huge detriment to these head coaches that are also play callers. And we can kind of go through the list here, but, you know, the Dirk Cutters and the Ben McAdoo's. Ben McAdoo, he was in the red zone, and he did a halfback pass with Shane Vereen, and he threw an interception. Then you have Andy Reid, who's got an explosive offense, who then allows Travis Kelsey to throw the ball. He throws an interception. I mean, so one thing that kind of dawned on me was, okay, is this a is this a, a serious issue in terms of head coaches play calling or not? How many head coaches have won the Super Bowl while they're head coaches? So let me quickly go back to to two thousand. Okay, since since the two thousand. Um, and figure out maybe how many head coaches were actually play callers. Last year, in terms of winning the game, last year was New England, Josh McDaniels play calls, so that's a no. Denver the year before that, I believe Gary Kubiak called his plays, so we're going to give that a yes to head coach and play calling. The year before that was New England, so no. Then Seattle before that, no. Darrell Bevel's a play caller there. Baltimore, no. John Hobart doesn't offense play call. Same with the Giants the year before that. Then we get back-to-back years where I do believe the head coach is also the play caller, and that is Green Bay and New Orleans. So then you get two more there, so we're at three. Before that's Pittsburgh. Giants again, no, no. Indianapolis, no. Um, Pittsburgh before that. Then back-to-back New England before that. Uh, again, no, no. That's when they had Charlie Weiss, um, Tampa Bay, all the way in 2002. No. Um, John Gruden was not calling plays. New England before that. Baltimore before that. No, no. And St. Louis. I know I ran through that very quickly. Do you want to go back any further? I know I went that very quickly, but I wanted to go through all the teams and basically saying, okay, since 2000, there's been three head coaches that – also won the Super Bowl while play calling. And I kind of brought it to your attention. I said, you know, in St. Louis, actually, in ni- their 99th season, when, what was it? It was his, uh, Dick Vermeil, right? He was the head coach, and I believe Mike Martz was the offensive coordinator. Mike Martz took over as head coach and intended to defend the title for the Rams in the 2000 season and was play calling and actually ended up losing the Super Bowl to the Patriots that year. So... I think there's a very interesting stat here. You know, I don't know what it really means because also, you know, a huge part to this huge Super Bowl run that you've seen here when we go back to the New Englands and Packers, Steelers, Indianapolis, um, even the Giants, you have to have that quarterback. But considering there's only been three head coaches who have also play called in the last 17 years, um, I think there's kind of a little bit of a trend here that should be looked at. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't, I don't think it's ideal for the head coach to call the plays, but I also think there's just bad play calling. Period. I don't really care at the end of the day who's who's, who's calling the plays if they're bad play calls. Um, and there's plenty of bad offensive coordinators in the NFL right now. I think that's a problem. And I was just thinking, like, probably two of my. And I don't know about you. I was trying to think of like the the plays that are frequently called that annoy me the most. One we always talk about is on third and short or fourth yep. and short, the fullback dive, right? Oh, Which or, uh, I, thought or, say, or, I thought you'd say another one. Okay, that's that's true. Okay. And on the goal line, inside the five or whatever, throwing a fade to a wide receiver that is not a Des Bryant or a Mike Evans, someone that has no business being you know involved in you know catching a fade pass. It's a lazy play call. It never works in the NFL. Um, so those off the top of my head are probably the the two the two play calls that annoy me the most that we see all the time, and then I add a third one, which is the the jet sweep when they bring in someone like a Tavon Austin, and you know that's the only play that he can execute or they can use him for, and it picks up like maybe five yards tops. And let me let me add one, probably my most um, annoying play to see, and I saw a lot of it this weekend, and I got it here in my notes, um, and I also wrote down they say this is a copycat league. 
right? And, you know, as soon as someone started the wildcat or the read option or whatever the case might be, you know, people using two tight ends, no one using a running back by committee, it's a copycat league. I don't understand why more people don't emulate the best teams in the league and what they're doing. And specifically someone like, obviously, like New England, I mean, these short passes, it could be third and short to your point, Seth. And then next thing you know, on third and four, third and five, I saw Ben Rossberger do a lot this past weekend when he when he played on Thursday night. You have these 50-50 balls going down the sidelines to some completely average receivers. Um, Derek Carr did it to Roberts down the sideline. It's like these people are pretty much covered. It's a 50-50 ball at best 50-50 ball. You don't, don't throw those unless you do have the Calvin Johnsons and the Julios and the Dez. Why can't we be why can't we be throwing shorter, you know, slant routes where hopefully your wide receiver has their, you know, the inside position? Um I, I just don't understand why there's so many passes down the sideline in a complete toss-up 50-50 ball when you're throwing it to a completely average receiver. Those ones have been bother, bothering me the most. And on the flip side, if you have someone like a, you know, we watched the Cowboys the other night complete debacle, and they've been having a lot of trouble getting Dez the ball down the field. It seems like the only passes that Dez catches anymore are like slants and like, you know, quick in routes. Um, if he has single coverage on the outside and there's not a safety over the top and it's not a cover two, why not throw a 50-50 ball to Des Bryant? Take some chances. You know, Put yourself in a position to maybe draw the pass interference call. We don't see teams taking chances. And it's not only the play calling. I also think that these offensive coordinators are coaching poorly. Like, Remember during the Minnesota game on Sunday, and I, I think I was talking to you on the phone during it, and we commented on the same two plays. <clears throat> it was a drive that Minnesota had and back-to-back plays. There's Stefan Diggs caught the ball and ran out of bounds. He just needed two or three extra yards to pick up the first down. And he didn't fight for it for the extra yards, just went out of bounds, which is was stupid. You know, you only have two or three yards. You have to pick up the first down there. And then I think it was like a couple plays later, you had Adam Thielen catch the ball on it was like a drag route or something. And he only needed like two or three yards after the catch of the first down. And if he would have just, you know, turned up the field right away. He would have picked up the first down, but instead he just kept running horizontally, and then he got tackled. So there's little little mistakes like that that you see teams make all the time, and you got to wonder, are these these coaches getting after players for making dumb decisions like that? Yep, those were back-to-back plays, um, and I recall that uh, set of series there. They almost didn't even get the first down. I they, they think they had to go for it on fourth and one just to get it where they should have had it with Diggs. That one's a, an int- a different one because, you know, is it is that on the player? I mean, that's, that's more or less it's on the player not having a, he- a heady play. Um, but I guess to your point, you know, is, is Zimmer going, making sure that he's breaking that down um, afterwards in – after the game when they're doing their weekly preparation and making sure he doesn't just gloss over that. Because uh, those, those are the small things uh, that these teams need to be executing. But we're seeing a lot of, um, a lot of I guess, uh, these similar choices being made in games where it's almost you think that these head coaches are overthinking it. They're swapping out players. It's not just at running back. It's, it's at a lot of other positions too. Um, so... Either way, I think it's resulted in less watchable games than average. Would you say? Yep, I think there's. I think even the even the good games on paper were pitiful this weekend. Like New England, Oakland was terrible. Philadelphia, Dallas was hard to watch. That was terrible. Um, there's really weren't too many games. I mean, Minnesota, um, Los Angeles was okay, but it was a twenty-four to seven game. You know, not too entertaining. Um, and then the Atlanta Seattle game was it was was good. That was probably the the one good game of the entire weekend and between two good teams. Too. And the Wash, yep, the Washington Saints in overtime. Those those were both good games. Um, one one comment I did want to make though before we wrap up on the coaching um, part is Ben McAdoo. Now, obviously, he's going to get fired this season at the end of the season. And I'm not saying he's a great coach. I mean, I don't think he's a great. I don't think he's a good coach at all. But I also kind of feel bad for him. I I, I feel like. He's getting the short end of the stick. When you when you look at the Giants, their defense is underperforming. They Eli Manning is average. He's never been a great quarterback. They have no absolutely no running game. Their their top receivers are Roger Lewis, Tavares King, 
Um, Shane Vereen catching the ball out of the backfield. I mean, Evan Ingram is a rookie tight end who's basically carrying their offense, you could probably say. Um, Sterling Shepard didn't play. So it's like the poor guy has nothing to work with. And I just think it's more in New York, it's more of an indictment on the general manager than it is on the head coach because he has nothing to work with on that football team. I don't know. I'm not going to go as far as as that um, because it's, this is not his first year. Yeah, he has nothing to work with as of this moment in this current year. But how- He made the playoffs last year and, and lost in Green Bay in a close game to Aaron Rodgers. So... Yeah, but I'm I'm going to use you know your phrase in terms of like I'm just going to give it the eyeball test, and I can see many times over the course of several years. Remember the when they first got when he got there, they were trying to implement this whole like Green Bay um, offensive scheme, right? That was the whole idea of why he got the head coach over. To, you know, when they kicked out Tom Coughlin, they want to implement the scheme, fast passing, and there's this whole thing where um, Aaron Rodgers starts with his left leg versus his right leg backwards or something like that. I mean, I don't understand it, but there was this whole deal on how he couldn't get in the rhythm because you you step backwards with the opposite leg that you normally would as a quarterback, and they couldn't get in rhythm, and so much so where Eli Manning started all four quarters in game four. This was like, I think, the first year that Ben McAdoo was going we're we're years into this process into this system um there's just not enough that we've been able to to see over the years to pinpoint to Ben McAdoo having any close of have done a good job and he's got enough there to make some type of impact where at least it should come out on the, on the football field if he had done a good job so i'm not going to give yeah. him that much of a pass at all personally yeah uh, um and right before we get to your players that you want to talk about um quick note on Dak Prescott uh, what's the panic meter there one of my notes from this weekend is I kind of just was watching the games making notes um I wrote a left tackle and a running back should not be an excuse to be to look this bad as a team I mean is this well, also has something to do with Jason Garrett I mean yeah, I was. I think Jason Garrett. I was while I was driving today. I was doing an exercise. I was thinking to myself, who are the top five coaches that I think should be fired? And I was like, okay, Marvin Lewis, um, John Fox, Jack Del Rio, Hugh Jackson, uh, uh, Hugh Hugh Jackson. Yep. And uh, Jim Jim Caldwell was actually an honorable mention. So he he was six. Number five was Jason Garrett. I I just think we've seen enough from Jason Garrett. He needs to be fired at the end of the season. He hasn't produced anything his entire tenure with Dallas. But as far as Dak Prescott goes, I'm I'm putting the the panic meter, um, ten being you know complete all out panic, one being I'm not worried at all. I'm putting it at like a six because a little bit above average because I think I think they're going to be able to look at the film. They were playing a great defense in Philadelphia, um, so I think because they're going to be playing porous defenses for the remainder of the season for the most part i think Dak prescott will be fine and you said that you know losing a left tackle and your running back is not an excuse it shouldn't be an excuse but the fact of the matter is the dallas cowboys are built to run the football and zeke is not your normal running back he he has a he's one of probably the maybe him and Le'Veon bell are probably the only two running backs that can legit carry an offense and you watch alfred morris run you watch rod smith run they're just they're just not even close to. The, they're not even the same universe as Ezekiel Elliott. But what concerned me most about Dak Prescott, it wasn't just the interceptions because you had one that was, I think, a deflection from Terrence Williams. Just he should have caught it. It bounced off and was intercepted. It was the decision making from Dak Prescott and even the the passes? He had a one screen pass to to Dez, which he threw by his ankles. Dez had to basically scoop it off the ground. You know, probably would have picked up a bigger gain if he would have hit him. You know, right at the numbers. Um, he was off on a lot of passes. Like the one, even though some of the ones that weren't intercepted were just off target. It was just a, a weird game where Dak legit looked rattled, and I don't think he has a lot to work with on that offense. I mean, Dez had 14 targets, caught eight balls, but we're not seeing Dez make the impactful plays, and his other receivers are just absolutely garbage. Yeah, they're not they're not great. I think they're they're serviceable if you were able to do a much better job game planning. And this maybe I'm maybe this has a lot more to do with Jason Garrett in in a lot of instances where 
going back to my point on this is a copycat league, I still don't understand why teams can't morph a little bit better. I'm not saying morph like entirely the way that New England will do or, you know, it seems like New Orleans is doing a good job of completely morphing right now. But you don't have Zeke and you don't have a left tackle. So don't try and pretend that you are the team that you were three weeks ago. Don't try and ground and pound. Don't go get into these heavy sets. Use one of your running backs to chip off the edge to protect the left tackle. Do these short passes. Um, be, I guess, a little, maybe a little bit more creative on having some of these rub routes right off of the line of scrimmage. I mean, within one yard or so like that, you could basically hit the opponent um, cornerback. So you're not the same team without Tyron Smith and Zeke. Don't try and run it as if you are. I think three things need to happen for Dallas if Dax can get back on track. Number one, I think they need to use Cole Beasley more. He was really effective last season, moving the chains. They need to use him as like an extension of their running game. He needs to be more involved. They need to find out ways to get Cole Beasley more involved. Number two, they have to take chances down the field. I mean, when I look at Dak Prescott, I say, really, what's the difference between him and Alex Smith? The difference is he has Ezekiel Elliott. So I think he has a lot to prove. They need to take chances down the field to Des Bryant. I mean, if he's going to throw three interceptions, one of them might as well be taking a chance down the field to Des Bryant. They need to find ways to kind of unleash that big playmaking ability with Des Bryant. And then number three, I think they're going to have to have Dak Prescott run more. I mean, how many times do you see – now, he runs a lot when he gets in the red zone. But how many times do you see he has running room and he doesn't take it, He's which is good. You know, a lot of times we praise quarterbacks for always looking down the field, you know, wanting to make plays through the air. But – I think he has to they need they need playmakers. He has to be able to run the football more and be more aggressive taking off out of the pocket. And before we want to get to the rest of the show, we want to go ahead and thank our sponsor, mybookie.ag. You hear me all the time on the podcast refer to team implied totals, the over/unders. We do all of our research at mybookie.ag, and it's the only spot that we place our weekly bets. You've heard us talk about them before, and here's your chance once again to get 100% cash bonus on your deposit by using our promo code HEADS, H-E-A-D-S. Use HEADS as a promo code, and they will match 100% of your deposit. And it's that perfect time of the year. You have Thanksgiving games. You're going to have a lot of family around. What a better way to put together a nice maybe three-game parlay while you all watch the games. And, of course, we're getting really close to the playoffs. And as soon as that happens, they pay out extremely fast. And best of all, their website is mobile-friendly, super easy to use, fast to sign up. Use our promo code HEADS for 100% cash deposit bonus. Now let's head into week 12. What are you seeing on the slate here um, in terms of some of the top players and impact people into week 12? Well, one of the ones that I like, one of the players I like this week is Danny Woodhead. Um, he's he's somebody, because he doesn't run the football, he only had one carry this last week. He's not going to run basically at all. So he's pretty matchup proof. Now this is a game, I think he only played, what, 13 snaps? 13 his first game snaps, back. yep. 13 snaps coming off IR. Um, and he had six six targets, five catches, twenty one yards, um, on six targets, and he had one carry. This was in thirteen snaps, so he's either he's either catching the football, or he's either getting a target in the passing game, or he's getting a carry on seven of those thirteen snaps. So you'd have to think that they're going to increase his snap count. Let's say it goes up to to twenty five to thirty. You know, we could be looking at Danny Woodhead getting, you know, seven to ten catches. Javorius Allen was a complete non-factor, only one target, one catch. And this is a game when Baltimore was up the entire game against Green Bay. So, and he still had six targets on 13 snaps. So what happens when he's, his snap count goes up and they're in a, a game situation where they're playing from behind? So I like Danny Woodhead a lot moving forward. Um Another player that I, that I noticed this weekend that I like a lot is um, mainly because of situation, which with running backs, that's half the battle, is Samaje Pirine. No Chris Thompson for the remainder of the season. Um, he left the game. Um, he got carted off during the game. Samaje Pirine had 23 carries for 117 yards and a touchdown. 
Um, so just because there's nobody else there, I like P. Ryan moving forward. He's only owned in 28% of ESPN leagues, so chances are he's available. I'd go and grab him because you look at the Washington Redskins, and it is a skeleton crew out there. You have Josh Doxson and Jameson Crowder, and that is basically it. Jordan Reed probably not going to play on Thanksgiving again. So I think I think Samaje P. Ryan is another player um, that is going to have a pretty big workload. He has a finger injury, but he's supposed to be fine. So assuming he's playing, he has to be he has to be owned in every league, and you got to plug him in your lineup on Thursday. Yep, uh, like the. The Redskins at home on Thursday night, Thanksgiving night. I think the um, P. Ryan call is a really good one. Um, you know, he didn't really do anything earlier in the season when he kind of had an opportunity with Rob Kelly out. But this is this is a really nice spot here against the Giants at home. Um, you're looking at a home favorite, which always works out the best for these running backs. And now. Now he doesn't have to almost relinquish, you know, any touches for the most part. I'm sure they're going to still spell him out a little bit, but uh, especially with Chris Thompson out, they like to use him a lot in the red zone, um, and he got a lot of touchdown, which is what always kept his value really high, even with the minimal touches. And now if P. Ryan's the guaranteed goal line back, especially in a very nice spot against the Giants, um, that's a nice call there. And while we're on the, the red team, I mean, one of my favorite quarterback plays this week is Kirk Cousins at home against the Giants. Um, the Giants are coming off a, a big win against, I guess, a big win, as as big as any win could be for a team that just went to, you know, improved to, what, two and eight. Um, so he's playing the Giants defense at home, like Kirk Cousins, a lot. W- what do you think about Kirk Cousins as the, uh, the, the, the Thursday night game on Thanksgiving? Yep, um, ex- excellent spot for them. Um, almost came away with a really nice victory there against New Orleans. So Giants are coming off of cloud nine. They're not going to know what's going to hit them. I mean, <laughs> uh, I don't see the Giants kind of putting up that kind of performance back-to-back weeks. Plus, um, you know, as we kind of looked into that game last week and we saw that the wind was about 20 miles an hour, you know, if anyone who didn't realize, this might be a good segue here real quick. It make sure you look at the weather every Sunday morning because at this time of the year it is playing a major impact, especially in daily, um, and of course all of your flex plays. You're not going to really sit any of your studs because of it, but um, you know, Seth, you and I looked at the weather, and the Giants game was a huge impact. The the Chicago one was as well. Um, the Green Bay one all had some pretty fairly if it's wind is the biggest impact in terms of affecting scoring and fantasy points, even more so than even rain or snow. So if you get above 15 plus mile an hour winds, you're going to expect a very slow game, not as much air yards and lower totals. Only six mile an hour winds um, projected for for Thursday in Washington. It's going to be probably in the high 30s, low 40s. Um, so I mean, pretty good weather for a primetime game yep. in November. Um, so love, love Kirk cousins. Um, another, I think probably my favorite quarterback of the entire weekend though, is I'm gonna let you guess who it is. And you know, you know me with this quarterback, I, I always, whenever I get the opportunity to, to talk him up, I usually, I usually take that opportunity. I just haven't had too many chances to do it this season. Um, I'm going to have to guess it is Russell Wilson. Nope. Good one. Um, I like Russell Wilson too, but it's Andy Dalton at home against Cleveland. Now he always lacks a little bit of upside. So in daily and, and if, you know, if you're, you know, entering a tournament, he's not probably a great option because he's just, he's not going to throw for 400 yards like a Drew Brees can or a Russell Wilson can. Uh, but He's almost guaranteed for three touchdowns. I mean, they're not going to run the football. They're not a New Orleans Saints where they they run in all their touchdowns. They're not going to run the football in. And he's going to have, I'd say, at least two touchdowns, probably three, against Cleveland. He had a pretty good game in Denver, three touchdowns, 154 yards passing, which is the problem with with Dalton. It kind of caps his upside. Um, But he's, he's pretty efficient when he plays these beatable teams with bad defenses. And you, on top of that, Cleveland's really good against the run. So I like Tyler Croft in this game. I love Andy Dalton. I love A.J. Green. Um, if Tyler Croft's questionable right now, if he plays, 
you've got to love him, right? Against a, a Cleveland team that can't guard tight ends. Mercedes Lewis scored a touchdown this week against against Cleveland. Yep, and you made fun of me last episode about bringing up Mercedes Lewis, but it's something I, I don't reg- I, I don't regret it either. It is Mercedes <laughs> Lewis, so if I had to do over again, I would say the exact same thing. Yeah, well, I, maybe I don't blame you, but you know, we're here to try and identify some of these matchups, and as ugly as ugly as that, as it looked, I still slid him in because uh, you know, <laughs> Mercedes Lewis was available in about every single league humanly possible, but he was playing the Cleveland Browns, which pretty much means it guaranteed touchdowns to tight ends. So Tyler Croft is you know outside of like the big three or four tight ends uh, is uh, pretty much a, a must start in all formats. Now, there's one player, not to kind of mix it up too much, I want to get into a couple of players that I think need to be benched this week that might surprise you. Um, one is, and I want to get your opinion on these two, one is Jordan Howard. He, he Zero catches last Sunday uh, in Week 11 against Detroit. Over 100 yards rushing, but this is somebody who is completely dependent on touchdowns. And unless he gets over 100 yards, right, kind of obviously it goes without saying, every running back in fantasy is, but he doesn't catch passes. So he's going up against a Philadelphia team that is among the best in the NFL against the run. I don't see them having any success on the ground against Philadelphia. So I think Jordan Howard, it's probably tough to bench him because, you know, more than likely your your other options on your bench are not going to be as good as him. But I think if you have anything... If you have any other running backs that are kind of in the ballpark, I think you have to consider benching Jordan Howard. Yeah, um, Jordan Howard not only does he not catch passes, he is a byproduct of having to need positive game script. Last week he had it. Uh, They were ahead and in the game, plus the high wins. Um, Two weeks ago when they played uh, Green Bay, I actually was really high on him as you know, Seth, and it wasn't that I was necessarily wrong on Howard, but I just was wrong on the game. I thought that the way that we've seen Brett Hundley play in Chicago's defense, that they would actually be able to stay in the game if not be ahead, uh, and they weren't, and they were actually behind pretty much all game, and that really, really just kind of just ruins um, his fantasy value, and being on the road in Philadelphia – 13.5-point dogs when Philadelphia is one of the highest team totals in the weekend. Yeah, it's going to be hard for Jordan Howard to get anything, it seems like. Yep, and I mean, three of his last four games, zero catches. So, I just it's, it's tough. There's no margin for error with someone like Jordan Howard if he's not getting a ridiculous you know quantity of carries. In week six, he had 36 carries. He still failed to get 20 fantasy points. 167 yards, couldn't get 20 fantasy points. So he needs a touchdown. That goes without saying. And he's probably going to need over 20 carries against Philadelphia. Can they stay committed to the run that long, you know, considering he's going to be running into a brick wall? And do they throw the, do they get the ball to him out of the backfield, which just hasn't happened all year? You know, and it, these quarterbacks are, you need to pay attention to, to these quarterbacks and, and what they like to do because we've seen different quarterbacks where, um, who was the starting quarterback for San Francisco before C.J. Beathard there? Help me out, geez. Before before uh, C.J. Beathard? Yeah. Um, it was Brian Hoyer. Right, Brian Hoyer. He wasn't really throwing to Carlos Hyde a ton, and then C.J. Beathard comes in, and he, <laughs> uh, Carlos Hyde is now getting eight, nine catches. You know, um, Matt Moore comes in. Devontae Parker's not used at all, and neither is Kenny Stills. And all of a sudden, Matt Moore comes in, and you know he has this attachment to Kenny Stills. And for whatever reason, I think that maybe the quarterback is a little bit to play here because we did see Jordan Howard have a decent amount of catches, at least targets, around five, four or five targets a week last year. Um, but Trubisky is not throwing to his running backs a whole lot, and especially not on the early downs to Jordan Howard. So, All right, and I'll give you some. So we, we always say whenever we say, you know, you, you know, you should probably bench him if you can. It's kind of if someone's listening, they're probably okay. Well, what does that mean? So let me give you a few examples. If you have these running backs and you have Jordan Howard, are you starting these running backs over Jordan Howard? I'm going to go through a few names with you. One is Samaje Piran. If he is available in your league and you grab him, would you start him over Jordan Howard this week? I would. Yep. With with Me Thompson too. being out and at home against the Giants. Yep. Too, too I agree. Many, too, I think too many check marks. 
Yep, I think that's an easy one. Um, what about Jarek McKinnon? A little bit inconsistent, plays on Thanksgiving in Detroit. What about Jarek McKinnon? Do you have him on your bench? I'm trying to think of running backs that you, you might be able to – you might have picked up on free agents. If you own Jordan Howard, the running backs on your bench are probably someone, probably running backs you picked up off the waiver wire. Um, I think I'm still going McKinnon because – well, one is because Jordan Howard's um, just like looking at his – game it just looks like it has such an uphill battle to production where McKinnon's is he's going to be involved all game and he was involved all game last week too it just so happened that Minnesota happened to get down right next to the goal line and Latavius Murray was able to run one in plus Latavius Murray had like a what a 20 something yard touchdown run or something like that so and, and sometimes it just matters on like who's the coach going to give it to because we saw Minnesota against Cleveland a few weeks ago when they played in London and they gave it to McKinnon on kind of like a kind of like a jet sweep right there on the goal line. So you know, I'd like to get some information from some of these head coaches before this weekend starts on who is going to get the ball near the goal line because it's like it just it's a complete toss up. And I think that I think they didn't really I think that McKinnon's production last week wasn't necessarily all him. It had a lot to do with just the usage at specific moments on Murray. Okay, so, so the answer is so the answer is yes. Yes, that, that's your long, <laughs> long-winded way of saying yes. I would. So I, I disagree. I, would, well, I think it's close. I would probably lean towards Jordan Howard just because I, I just really wonder how much upside is there with with McKinnon. I mean, Latavius Murray seems like he's been the guy. You take away, you know, that, that game against Cleveland, and he hasn't done anything for a couple weeks. It's it's close. He did have a span of you know three out of four weeks, you know, between week week five and week eight when he was. You know, pretty lights out. I think it's close. I would lean towards Jordan Howard, but I think that's a complete coin flip. Um, and maybe, two, and maybe if it's you know you're in a non PPR, you're definitely going Howard. If you're in a PPR, maybe that helps you go McKinnon. Um, and I, and I, did you have more? Well, if it's non PPR, you're definitely going Howard. Yeah. And th- did you have two more? Because I also got two other running backs I want to throw at you. All right, throw them, throw them at me. All right, the other two running backs are one of them. <laughs> it, <laughs> Do you have them ready? <laughs> kind of. Um, uh, um, now, I don't know if you're going to ever be in a situation where you're going to start one or another one of these guys because they're both kind of big names. But what about Devontae Freeman? He's probably going to be back, I guess, from concussion. But what about Devontae Freeman? And yep, He's playing Tampa. I'm absolutely starting him over Jordan Howard. Okay. Absolutely. And Danny Woodhead. I was that was one of the two I was going to bring up to you, so that's good. Uh, yes, I would go Danny Woodhead. I just and that's tough, I guess, because the, the you know Jordan Howard doesn't catch the football, so he's kind of one dimensional. Danny Woodhead's the same way, just in the in the opposite way. He doesn't carry the football ever. He's completely dependent on catches. I would just always side with the running back that's going to get catches over the running back that needs you know twenty twenty five carries and a touchdown to be effective. So. I think again. I think it's close. I'm going to bank on the fact that I expect Danny Woodhead's snap count to increase. He's playing. He's playing Houston, um, which is a good matchup. So I like Danny Woodhead. I agree. And you know, another running back that might be a good exercise to do this with is Kareem Hunt. I mean, I don't know. Like, just at this point, if you're in a if you're in a complete, you know, battle royale for the fifth seed, fourth seed, sixth seed, whatever the last seed is that you're trying to battle. And, and Kareem Hunt's getting you 10 points. I mean, you you might need to make a kind of a risky decision knowing what his usage has been recently. Yeah, and I guess it, it's it's tough. If, you, if you're a Kareem Hunt owner, you're almost kind of trapped because you saw the first three games that he had when he was just complete, like, just an absolute beast. And you're waiting for him to, to come back to that form. It hasn't happened, but it's different than Jordan Howard. Jordan Howard doesn't have that kind of upside. Kareem Hunt, I, I don't think you can bench Kareem Hunt for any of the players that, that we brought up. Um, you know, I, I don't think you can do that. I think you're stuck with, especially this week. I mean, we're talking about a Buffalo team that's, you know, giving up over 40 points to everybody they play. So yeah. I think you're, you're definitely, now, if Kareem Hunt doesn't do anything, if he puts up another, you know, 11, 12 fantasy points against Buffalo, then we can start having more of a, you know, serious conversation about maybe Danny Woodhead over Hunt. I I just think that with with Kareem Hunt, the upside is just just way too, way too high. Even though he hasn't done it, and I, I, hopefully Andy Reid will wake up one of these weeks. Um, yeah, and he, and he just to stay on Hunt here real quick because you know this has kind of been a polarizing player now for the last several weeks. 
He had the second highest total in snaps last week. Um, granted, they went into overtime, deep overtime, so that's that's kind of a you know maybe a misleading stat there. But he is getting snaps. Um, he had more passing snaps than running snaps where he was on the field, twenty nine to twenty one. Okay. But they're not really passing him the ball a whole lot. Sharkandrick West is always getting it. And let me ask you this mind-boggling question. Just This is going to blow your mind, right? So we need to take off Kareem Hunt off of third downs, even though he did it early in the season, the first few games when West was not available. But as soon as West is available, Kareem Hunt needs more help on pass blocking, right? We need to bring in Sharkandrick West. This is the thought process. He's better at pass blocking on third down, so we're going to bring in Sharkandrick West. And sure enough, Sharkandrick West actually leaks out into the backfield a lot and catches passes. So why is Kareem Hunt fit to pass block on first and second down, but not third down? Because third down is more of an obvious passing situation. I, I, I still hate that excuse for when coaches, like when running backs that are clearly more talented than their backup get taken off the field because they quote-unquote struggle with pass protection. Now, unless the team has a really shaky offensive line, and the running back is just completely abysmal at at pass blocking. Like if he's if he's a lot more talented and he's much better, keep him on the field. I, I just you know let him work on that. I, I just I just think that's I I hate I absolutely hate that excuse. I think it's the dumbest excuse ever. Yeah, I mean if if you had um you know Orleans Darkwa and then you know your pass catching back is Shane Vereen. or yep. if you had Spencer Ware, who's clearly maybe a better you know inline runner than you have Sharkandrick West. Like there's not maybe that much overall talent. One definitely is better on. The, there's a clear difference in terms of uh, athlete and physical specimen with Kareem Hunt to uh, to, to that should make you want to keep him on the field. And again, to my point especially with someone like the Chiefs, where as much as they throw to running backs, you know, they're still throwing to their running backs on third down, which means he's not pass blocking. Yep. No, I agree. It's it's beyond frustrating. I I, I want to get to – and the other, the other situation that I want to bring up too, because it kind of goes hand-in-hand hand with this Kareem Hunt situation, teams just misusing running backs, just, just being you know, completely – I'm convinced these coaches just overthink it. They have all these running backs, and they, they want to show how, how smart they are. So they bring in a running back. I mean, a good a good example is is Philly. Now I know Philly's nine and one. It's hard to criticize them for anything, but you have someone like a Jay Ajayi who you just traded for. Um, you know, he should get more carries. They had four different running backs. I mean, I could I was watching the game. I, I literally could not believe it. It was it was comical. Legarrette Blunt thirteen carries. Jay Ajayi seven carries. Um, Corey Clement six carries, and I draw the line now. When when the third running back starts getting involved, I start getting annoyed. But I absolutely draw the line when you, when you get the fourth running back involved. And Kenyon Barner caught ran in for a touchdown. I, I was just I was beside myself. I was like, this is just getting to a point where, I mean, you, you talk about teams like New England a lot of times doesn't like carrying a third quarterback, right? And they they sometimes don't want to carry you know extra position because every roster spot is so valuable. Yet you have a team like Philadelphia handing the ball off to four different running backs like what are we doing and you know what's funny is a lot of times and i forget we've seen this in before too um especially with carolina when they were paying you know tolbert and stewart but a lot of times you add up the salary of these of your entire roster of running backs and you start getting up to arguably you know maybe not like a levy on bell level but like a Devonte freeman or something along those lines you're you're essentially paying for an elite running back, when you start adding up all the salaries, look at look yeah. at what New England salary is. You have um, Gillisley that they sign on a on RFA around three plus million, I believe. Um, they gave Dion Lewis a contract extension the year before last, or something like that. James White had a contract extension. Um, I, I'm gonna might need to pull this up, but I mean, I bet you that their total that they're spending on their running backs is is probably it's got to be over seven million dollars, and, and I don't. Okay, so and with New England's, New England's obviously annoying the way they use running backs. But at least with New England, you have Dion Lewis, who is your, you know, your, your you know, he's he's going to get most of the carries. Your Burkhead and James James White's essentially a wide receiver, so I kind of take separate him from this 
um, situation. And then you have Rex Burkhead, who's, who's more versatile. It's one thing if you have your pass-catching running back that's like a Shane Vereen, James White type, and then you have your every down back who's more like Latavius Murray, Marshawn Lynch, you, you name it. But with Philadelphia, I mean, what's the difference between LeGarrette Blount and Jay Ajayi? They're essentially the same running back, except Jay Ajayi is like a million times better. So as far as I'm concerned, LeGarrette Blount shouldn't touch the football at all. And Corey Clements, I guess, kind of a hybrid. Like, he's a little bit quicker and shifty than J.H.I. and Blunt. Um, so I could see him maybe getting some carries. If I was the coach, I would just give the ball to J.H.I. and spell him every now and then with Corey Clement. Running backs on the roster for New England uh, getting paid a total of $11 million for 2017. Yeah. Yep. Make It makes no sense. Yep. Um, but... It, and how much well, is thing, and how much is Le'Veon Bell getting paid? And I know you can't just go trade him, swap him out, but still. Yeah, I mean that's a good point. That's a very good point. You have a bunch of, you know, like we always say, we'd rather have a dollar than four quarters. Twelve million. Twelve point one is what Bell is making. And worth worth every penny of it too. Um, but another couple players. So Chicago's defense has been pretty good against the run this season. What are you What are you doing this week? Um, and, and let me go to, you just have, yeah, let me go back to week 11 here, you know, looking ahead this week, Philadelphia, we're on the subject of Philadelphia running backs going up against Chicago, pretty good against the run. I, I don't think you can start any Philadelphia running backs. I don't think you can start JGI. If you own him, I'm benching him for all the players we talked about. P Ryan, Woodhead, McKinnon, Latavius Murray, all of them. Same thing with blunt, obviously. If, if you have Blunt in your lineup or if you have Corey Clement in your lineup, you're, you just really don't know what you're doing. Yeah, it's tough. Like I still kind of want to hold on to some of these because in case there you, is an injury. But every time there's you can't, an, you can't start him, though. That's what I'm saying. You can't start yeah. them this week in Chicago. If you have Jay Ajayi, are you starting Ajayi or are you starting McKinnon? I mean, definitely McKinnon. I mean, you're starting Woodhead over him and you're starting P. Ryan over him. Um you know, you can you can go down this list. Dion Lewis. He's starting Dion Lewis this week slash Burkhead, or are you starting uh, Jay Ajayi? I'm sorry, I'm Burkhead. I, I out of all three of those, I'm still on Burkhead. He he fumbled, so he got eliminated from the game plan. That that uh, is has happened a lot in New England. You've seen in the past. Lewis is still definitely getting his touches, but. Um, I like the workload that Burke had had before, before obviously the fumble still was able to come back in the game and get touches. Um, so if you do have what, uh, Burke had, don't, uh, don't get too frustrated on last week's game. I mean, you can always get frustrated with that whole running back situation in general, but I still think there's a decent bounce back week here, especially if we see another nice, uh, Mike Gillisley healthy and active before the game. It will be another good encouraging sign for him. Yep. I agree. So what else you, what else you have lined up here for week 12? I mean, we talk about running backs. I think my favorite defense um, this week is Pittsburgh going up against a Green Bay team. That's just, you know, they, they look done. They look done. They play Baltimore at home. Brett Hundley, his worst game as a pro, sacked six times through three interceptions. I think Green Bay had three fumbles. They had four fumbles in the game. Um, so they're, they're a complete turnover machine that cannot move the ball down the field at all. And Pittsburgh playing at home, I love the matchup. So Pittsburgh is probably my favorite defense of um, of the week. What are, your, what are your thoughts on Pittsburgh? Yep, you got to like them a lot. Um I mean, their defense has been playing really well. I think they've allowed 17 or less points in the last five straight games, and Green Bay traveling into into Pittsburgh, Heinz Field. So um, probably going to expect a lot of sacks, one or two turnovers, and very low very low points for Green Bay. It, it, it's really interesting. You know, what, what are your thoughts on this whole – I know that Brett Hundley looks bad and he's been playing bad, and, you know – how much do you put on completely on the quarterback and how much, you know, maybe that the team should be playing better just because they lost Aaron Rodgers? I mean, I put a lot of it on the quarterback. It's, but it's not like this was one of the better offensive teams with Aaron Rodgers. And Aaron Rodgers is, is arguably the second best quarterback in the NFL. 
and it's not like they were a top two or three offense. So they've come completely down to earth. I mean, they don't have a tight end. They they've they've had a ton of injuries to the running back position. They have no running backs. Um, they're on their third string running back right now. So I don't know. I put I put a lot of it on Brett Hundley, and it's not so much. I mean, it's tough. When you throw zero touchdowns and three interceptions, I think with me, the biggest thing is the sacks. I mean, you're sacked six times. I think that's where, and a lot of times I blame the offensive line, but when you're sacked six times, I mean, Brett Hundley, especially being a mobile quarterback, has to be able to get out of the pocket and avoid some of those sacks. So I'm putting that on him. But the fumbles, I mean, it's hard to, and he, he had one of the fumbles, but you know, there are three other fumbles. I mean, the team is, is clearly not playing well. I, I almost put this, now it's not as dire as the Giants situation, but I look at the GM and Ted Thompson. I, I put a lot of this on him um, because he's not doing, I mean, a lot of these teams, it just shows you they're a quarterback injury away from being completely irrelevant, from being a bottom of the barrel team. Green Bay, as it stands right now, is probably a bottom five team in the NFL. You know, and with Aaron Rodgers, they had hopes of, potentially going to the Super Bowl. So, and obviously it's a quarterback driven league, but still you you can't be this anemic when you lose a quarterback. You can't. And that's kind of a little bit of what I was getting to there. It's just uh I know a lot of it is 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 on the the quarterback, but it just you can't look that bad. Two other defenses though I want to quickly mention um was Tampa Bay's been playing well recently. You know, I don't know what it is with um, not having Jameis Winston there or what, but overall, defensively, they've been playing, you know, a lot better over the last two weeks. So they did get a couple of their players back and linebackers back um, right in time for the, these last two weeks. So I don't know if that has the main results, um, but that's something to keep an eye on there if you have a lot of Atlanta players, if you're trying to decide any of your flex situations. And then the other one would be. We still don't know if Buffalo is starting Peterman or not. You would probably think they're not going to, but maybe because McDermott made the the big heavy move that maybe he tries to stick with his you know his decision from last week um, and stand behind it and start Peterman at least to start again. And if that's the case in Kansas City, you know you're going to absolutely love that defense. I, I can't imagine they start him again, but in case they do. That would be that would be definitely a defense I'd be looking to stream. I mean, they're right on the edge of a playoff contention. They're the seventh seed right now in the AFC, so they have a, a real legit chance to get into the playoffs. The AFC has been been terrible this year, and you look at the 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 AFC, and you know eight and eight might be able to get you in. Um, maybe seven and nine might get you in. So that's the only reason that would lead me to think that okay, maybe. He should go back to Tyrod Taylor, but I think it comes down to two things. Number one, does Sean McDermott think that Nathan Peterman is, is the quarterback of the future? If he if he does think that, then you have to kind of balance short-term with long-term, and maybe the best move is to keep Nathan Peterman in there. But in practice, you know, he, he knows him better than anybody. Does he believe in him? Does he think that Sunday was an aberration and just, you know, his first game, kind of getting his feet wet, taking his, his lumps... I, if if he doesn't think that if he hasn't seen a lot out of him and he's worried based on the performance on Sunday, then he'll go back to Tyrod Taylor. But if he thinks if he believes in him, then he'll I think he should roll him back out there. But if it was me, I think you have to you have to go down with Tyrod Taylor and start brand new next year with Nathan Peterman. Obviously, Tyrod Taylor is not going to be back next season, given his contract situation. But you have to go try and get in the playoffs. And the defense has to play better, too. Like, the, the weird thing about that change with me, I know Tyra Taylor wasn't playing great, but to me, it was just the defense that's been struggling this season, especially the last four games. Their their defense has been giving up a ton of points, um, and I don't think it's on the quarterback. So, I don't know. What do you think about the situation? If you were Sean McDermott, are you going back to Tyra Taylor, or are you rolling Nathan Peterman out there one more week? You know what's funny, too, is I listen to a lot of – uh, I guess to answer your question, it's going to be Tyrod Taylor. But I listened to a lot of different radio stations that week, and a lot of other people in the industry or sportcasters, you know, national audiences, and it, probably including us, were like kind of surprised. Like, hey, Tyrod Taylor's playing pretty well. What do you expect? There's not a lot there. Um, and 
But Buffalo fans would call in to these shows, and they're basically agreeing with the move. They're saying, hey, Tyrod Taylor is not the quarterback. You know, They watch him week in, week out, definitely would know more than I would know. And they're saying, hey, he's not the answer. He's not it. So it was kind of almost one of those, like, normally it's not that way. Normally it's like the, the exact opposite. The fan base is going to defend the quarterback. They still want him to play, et cetera. But they were ready to move on from Tyrod Taylor, even though – you know, in, just in the second half of that last game, he played pretty decent. So, I don't know. I mean, I'm going to start Tyrod Taylor, but it seems like even the people in Buffalo were convinced that they needed to move on. And I agree. If he's not going to be your quarterback of the future, then you then you go to Nathan Peterman. But the, I, I don't know if I'd do that in this. I don't know if I agree with the timing. I think you do that at the beginning of the season. But now that you've already you're already you know in the second half of the season and you're right in the middle of the playoff race. I think you have to try and make a run at it, and you. I just don't think you. I think you're putting Nathan Peterman in a really bad position. And I don't know enough about Nathan Peterman. I know he had a shaky preseason too. Didn't play very well. His completion percentage was was really bad. Um, but I guess like if they think Nathan Peterman is the guy, that's one thing. I just don't really know how they feel about Nathan Peterman. And if he's anything less in their minds than the future of the franchise, I think you have to go back to Tyrod Taylor. It is a very winnable game against um or. Actually, I have the week 14 schedule ahead of me, so I actually don't even know they're playing, playing week 12. But um, they're in a must-win situation, so they have to start Tyrod Taylor. But let's move on to week 14 here. It's the first game of the playoffs, so some people have their um, playoff spot clinched. And you might be looking at some of the under-the-radar starts that you can pick up a week or two early. So let's quickly identify some 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 plays here, Seth, in Week 14 that we like. Um, I mentioned this at least last week, if not, I think it was last week. Uh, the Packers' defense against Cleveland, uh, they were probably readily available. If they're not, I think that's still a play. Um, one other player I'm going to like a lot is probably from this matchup. Philly's going to be playing the Rams. That's going to be a juicy, juicy matchup. It's going to be in L.A., so the weather should be good. It won't be out in Philly in the northeast in December. And if Robert Woods is still out because he's going to miss a couple weeks here, you got to look at someone like a Cooper Cup who hasn't really done anything the last few weeks. He's going to be probably a big pickup this upcoming week. Um, I might even splurge a little bit more than I normally would if you know if you really have any money left at this time of the year because he could be a big multi-week um, plug and play, especially if the, his week 14 matchup is against Philly at home. Yep. And, um, and Robert Woods, who knows if he'll be back, he's, he's going to probably miss a couple of weeks, quote unquote, they're saying, but if he's out, then yeah, Cooper cup, Sammy Watkins too. um, liking that matchup. Another one I throw out in week 14 is the Oakland Raiders play in Kansas city. I mean, Amari Cooper went for 11 catches, 210 yards and two touchdowns against KC in week seven, Michael Crabtree, caught the game-winning touchdown that same game. So I think those are two receivers that have been struggling that if you have them on your team, you're in the playoffs, you're in a good spot because I think that's a great matchup against KC who struggles against opposing wide receivers. Or Derek Carr. You know, if you're in a one quarterback mm-hmm. and you're basically streaming week to week, uh, depending on how good your, you know, your weekly streamer is, uh, Derek Carr is definitely an option there. Another one I'm going to like as well is Sterling Shepard. Might not play for the second week in a row, but we saw what he did two weeks ago. They literally only can throw to him and Evan Ingram. They're going to be playing Dallas at home. Um, Dallas, obviously, not the strongest of teams through the air. We just saw what Philly did to them. So Sterling Shepard, you never know if he gets dropped in a league um, or you know if, if you're thinking about dropping him for whatever reason, hold on to him playing Dallas week 14. That looks like a pretty decent matchup there. Yeah, I mean, I, it's a good matchup. I just it's tough with these Giants receivers. I, I would have liked to see how Sterling Shepard did if this this Sunday against KC, but he 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 missed the game. So I mean, I don't mind it if you have him. You're, you're playing him. It's a good matchup. But I'm not. Well, going, 20, I'm not going. It was 20 mile an hour wins too. So no one really did anything. So in all honesty, he probably wouldn't. Have but been I, I would have liked to see. Yeah, but I would have liked to see how many targets he got, how many catches he got, um, because there are some receivers. I mean. Let me if you pull up the uh, you pull up the box score. I mean, there are some receivers that caught a few balls. I would like to see how you know what percentage of the 
the target share Sterling Shepard got. Like, you had Roger Lewis with three catches, Tavares King with three catches, Travis Rudolph with three catches spread out. Does a lot of that go to Sterling Shepard? I would have... I would just like to see how he was being used against a very beatable defense, even with the wins. New England will be playing Miami, so I think um, the second time in very you know short amount of time there. Um, not too many, you know. Is Chris Hogan out there on waivers? Will he be back? That might be a name that you might want might want to consider. You know, if someone gets frustrated with Burkhead, drops him, might be someone that you might want to consider picking up. Um, not only for this week, but week good week 14 matchup. And then an, another defense, Seth, is Pittsburgh at home against Baltimore. Yeah. I mean, those games are always low-scoring, in-division games, rivalry game. And Baltimore this, this year, offense is worse than it is most years. Love, love, love that matchup. I mean, love Pitt, Pittsburgh's defense has been very solid this year in fantasy. One of the more underrated defenses, especially coming into the year, they really weren't on anybody's radar. Um, so definitely good. And then you have in Cincinnati week 13. So you're talking about a defense. I mean, if you, if the, if Pittsburgh is somehow available in your league, you got to go grab them because look at the next three weeks, green Bay. We already talked about it this week in Cincinnati. I still like that. If you have Pittsburgh's defense, you're playing them and then Baltimore week 14. So that's three weeks in a row that you can use a defense. Yep. Um, any last players said from week 14? Nope. All righty. That's going to wrap up our Week 12 episode. Thanks, everyone, for listening. We're the NFL Talking Heads. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and other platforms, NFL Talking Heads. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the NFL Talking Heads Fantasy Football Podcast Show. Try saying that three times fast. With your hosts, Jeff Carrier and Seth Lowell. We'll catch you next time.